If you would like to borrow a Bible, if you didn't bring one, just raise your hand. The ushers will bring you one, and you can put it in the pew when you're done. Uh, I'm ready to get in the Word this morning, so I hope you can follow along. Before we do that, I've got to take two more seconds to invite two people up here. I'm going to invite Elisa and Jocelyn up here. This is really brief. I want to show you that God is still moving in our midst. God is still doing His work to draw His people to Himself. And so, uh, Elisa, just uh, tell us what's happened, I guess, over the last two weeks. What's happened? Sure. Go ahead. Um, I hope everyone can hear me. Uh, I'm sorry if I stutter a little bit. I'm a little nervous. Um, so I was brought up uh, an atheist, and uh, my parents weren't really big on religion, kind of just, you know, let us kids do our thing. And um, it wasn't until I got to about my sophomore year of high school that I sort of had a little wake-up call and thought, you know, man, I'm living a shallow life. And I, I couldn't figure out what I was living my life for. It's really just living my life for myself. And I wasn't satisfied with that. And I came up here to Northwestern, and I, you know, started looking into some things and trying to get my life together. And I, uh, I found Jocelyn and another friend of ours named Annie, who are both members of uh, Campus Crusades for Christ at Northwestern, um, which is a great group, lots of nice people. And, um, you know, they were always sharing their faith and, you know, not in a pushy way, just always putting it out there. And I always thought that was great, but I didn't think it was for me. And I found the Baha'i faith, um, started looking into that. And for those of you who aren't familiar, the Baha'i faith teaches that all the world's main religions are one and that, you know, Jesus and Muhammad and Buddha are all one and the same, really. And I thought, well, you know, logically, that, that, that makes sense, I guess. And I started looking into it, and I started reading all kinds of religious books. And I found myself, over a course of time, just kind of, you know, thinking, what is it that Jocelyn and Annie are seeing that I'm not seeing? And I couldn't figure out what it was. And I just, I said, let me take an honest read of the Bible. Let me just take it out and really get into it. And I did, and, uh, you know, I found myself at night just sort of drifting off to sleep reading the Bible and not any of the other religious books that I had been looking into, you know. And I would wake up every morning with that Bible next to me, and it was just, you know, I, I just kind of put my head in my hands at one point and, you know, asked God to change my heart and asked him to, to, to make me a better person. And I, you know, I just felt this love that I had never felt before. And, um, yeah, and I, you know, I thank Jocelyn for a lot of that because it's people like her who have set such a good example in my life that have, you know, brought me to that. So That's wonderful. Jocelyn, what's going on with you? You've been sharing the gospel with her. You were living with her as sweetmates. And uh, what does this mean for you to see, see her, you know, put her faith in Christ? Yeah, um, as Lisa said, like, I'd known her for about a year now. Um, and we'd have, like, a lot of conversations, but afterwards I'd get kind of, like, discouraged. Um, so I'd been, like, praying for Lisa, but while I was praying, like, I didn't really believe, I guess, that God would change her heart. Um, and so when Elisa told me that she'd accepted Christ, it was just, like, so apparent, like, how powerful God and his word are. Um, and it's just, like, so encouraging to me that Elisa's just, like, such a new believer, but she's just so on fire for the gospel, and she's, like, so hungry to know more, and it's just so encouraging. Amen. Can we praise God? Come on. Thank you. God still changes hearts. God still changes lives. It's interesting. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. And to open that up, I want to tell you something that I did over the summer. My wife and I uh, watched this documentary of sorts on TV called NY Med. Anybody watched it over the summer? NY Med? Okay, nobody but me. All right. Uh, okay. Damn, nothing to work with here. No. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> 
It's a show uh, about uh, inside New York City hospitals, a reality show of sorts. And a lot of the, uh, it's, you know, they show inside the ER, they show operations, I mean, the gross, gritty stuff. And a lot of times it was heart surgeries that we would show. And so this is what it would look like. The, the doctor would go in and meet with the patient and say, look, your heart is messed up. There's some massive problems. But we do not know what we're truly going to encounter until we get in and open you up and see what's going on. And, that, and, of course, that statement alone was a huge setup because, surely enough, as soon as they open up the patient, all types of stuff would go wrong. I mean, there would be some scenes they open them up and, and blood just, I don't know why, I don't know the medical stuff, blood just starts squirting all over the place. That, that can't be good. Um, they, would, they would open them up and they would say, man, this, this heart's got to come out. I mean, you know, they, they knew they were going to do transplants and sometimes they'd have to, to stop the heart. It was, it was very dramatic, but sure enough, after cutting to another commercial and coming back, the, the patient was saved, the patient was okay, and, they would, and they, would, they would praise and they would thank the surgeon and they were so grateful. And I was thinking about, week after week, my wife and I are watching these, these heart surgeries, and I thought, you know, it would be really neat <laughs> if we could come in here on Sunday morning, like this morning, and, and do heart surgery. Oh, no, no, don't freak out. Not, not like physical heart surgery, but surgery on your, your, yes, yours, on your unseen heart. It's almost like I can, I can look at your life, and I can interact with you, and you can interact with me, and you can tell me about all the problems that are going on in your life. Basically, you're telling me the problems that are going on in your heart. Some of you have a variety of fears. Maybe some of you have come here with low-grade depression. Or maybe your words keep coming in your mouth that are so sarcastic and catty. And maybe you're full of cuss words. Or maybe you're just not happy in life, you're discontent, or you're often distracted or easily angered. Maybe you're full of worry and anxiety this morning, out of control, debt. Maybe you have no motivation, or you have unchecked sexual desires, or out of control food cravings, or desire for more and more stuff and money, and I'm not even mentioning the relational problems. And somebody in here, almost everybody in here has got some type of relational problem going on. And, and this is what I want to say. What if I told you that most of your problems all come back to the reality that something is wrong with your heart? Now, I know we like to blame other people and we like to blame circumstances. But just for a moment, let's consider the possibility that there's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with your heart. And if you would be willing to submit yourself to God this morning in his word, this is what we're going to do. We're going to cut you open. And there's going to be gushing happening all over the place. But God is a tender physician who loves you. He's not here to hurt you. And he's a very skilled physician. He knows exactly what's wrong with you and how to fix it. So here's what I'm asking on your part this morning. To have an openness and to say, okay, God, heal me. Fix me. Do your work of grace on me. And that's what we're going to look at this morning as we consider the book of Proverbs. So let's turn in your Bible, to the book of Proverbs. 
Proverbs chapter 4 specifically. This morning, we're going to kind of start the book of Proverbs. What we do at our church is we go through entire books at a time, and, and I don't know how we're going to do Proverbs. We're going to figure it out together. It's going to take us about a year, and I say we're going to kind of start it this morning because what we're going to look at is the heart because heart is all over Proverbs. When you think of Proverbs, do you think of the heart or do you think more along the terms of, of kind of tips and tricks how to live a, a good life, right? Maybe you have Proverbs on your mirror at your house because you're looking for a, a hot tip and a trick how to live the, the life that you want to live during the day. But Proverbs are more than tips and tricks. See, Proverbs get at your heart. The word heart is used o- over 900 times in the Bible. It's in the book of Proverbs 77 times. And for the most part, when we say heart, like what are we talking about? We're talking about this thing beating here now. We're, we're talking about the core of who you are, your thoughts, your motives, your emotions, your personality, the spiritual part of your makeup. When I'm talking about your heart, I'm talking about what makes you, you. There's a proverb that puts it like this. Let me put it up on the screen for you. It's Proverbs 27, 19. It says, as in water, face reflects face. So the heart of man reflects the man, or the heart of a woman reflects the woman. When I'm talking about getting to know someone better, or maybe you're talking about getting to know someone better, you're not saying, I'm really getting to know their hair better. I'm really getting to know their ears better. We're not talking about physical qualities. We're, We're talking about, I'm getting to know the person's heart better. That's what we're talking about of what makes you, you, is your heart. It's seen in all of your actions, and it's seen in your character. And this morning, our launching verse is going to be Proverbs 4.23. So if you want to look at Proverbs 4.23, we're going to keep coming back to this verse over and over again. And I'm sorry, but today we're going to put all types of verses up on the screen. You don't have to write them all down. It will be online later if you want to look at the manuscript. But let's start with Proverbs 4. Verse 23 says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Maybe some of you have the uh, the NIV version or you're more familiar with the NIV version. Let me put that up for you. It says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. So you get the concept there? It's the spring that Out of you comes your character. Out of you comes the activities you do in your body. If I were to explain you to someone else, I would be talking about your heart because that's what it all comes back to. So we want to start kind of safe here this morning because when you're doing surgery, it can be kind of freaky. You can be kind of nervous, so maybe a little nervous, probably not. But unless you were, we're going to start kind of neutral this morning and talk about some neutral effects that come from our heart. Let me show you some neutral effects. Uh, Proverbs 16.9 on the heart plans. The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. Maybe it was your thinking and your planning that brought you to Northwestern University as you were pondering what to do with your future. And right now, many of you are planning in your hearts what to do with your future. Well, that's going on inside. Well, the heart also emotes. Proverbs 13.12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. 
There's a family in our church right now. They're trying to adopt this girl from Latvia, and they're waiting on a daily basis for takeoff time to go and pick her up. And that hope is deferred, and you can see it on their countenance. It makes the heart sick. But when they get that call, you can see, ah, it's like a tree of life. The heart emotes. But the heart also affects the body. Look at these psychosomatic connections in Proverbs 15.30. A glad heart makes a cheerful face, but by sorrow of heart, the spirit is crushed. Or consider Proverbs 14.30. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. So we have these psychosomatic connections of what's going on inside impacts our emotions, impacts our body, and a lot of times it impacts our physical health. So the Bible is pretty astute in describing about what's going on inside and how it impacts things on the outside. But these are all, for the most part, neutral observations. These are neutral observations. For the most part, sin is not involved. But this is where we kind of get in, move from the general observation, the neutral observations, and start looking and seeing that most of what's going on inside of you is not neutral. If you were hoping to find a church that told you everything else is fine inside of you, you're at the wrong church. You're reading the wrong Bible. The Bible is very clear that all is not right inside of us. The prophet Jeremiah put it like this in Jeremiah 17.9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Now, I've said this before. For those of you who like Disney movies, if you ever go into a Disney movie, and that part in the movie near the end where the characters having some issues, and they, another character says to them, follow your heart. At that moment, I want you to stand up and scream as loud as you can and say, don't do it. The heart is deceitful. It's, it's, it's not healthy. But then you go, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. What about the heart of a Christian? What about the heart of a Christian? Can we say that the Christian heart is desperately sick? I would say this, biblically speaking, is that if you are a believer, listen very well here, your desperately sick heart has been removed and it's been replaced with a brand new heart. The prophet Ezekiel, as he was looking forward into the future where this time of the new covenant would come, talked about a new heart and a new spirit being put in believers. And he said it like this in Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27. He says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So get this. Before you were a Christian, you had a hard heart. You rebelled against God. But the Bible is telling us now that we have a new heart, a soft heart, a malleable heart that wants to obey him. And you can know that you have this heart. You can know if you're a believer, if you have this heart. And this is, this is how. Now you want to obey God. Not perfectly, 
But now you, you desire him. Before you did not desire him. You did not want him. But now you're like, I, I want to know him. I want to follow him. There's a new spirit within me. There is a new heart within me. I actually want to know the word of God. Not always. And a lot of times I'm messed up. But I, I want to love him. But here's the catch. And I want you to get this. Deep inside your new regenerated heart, something is still off. The Bible uses words of indwelling sin, flesh. Something is just not right within us. Yes, we have the new heart, we have new desires, new passions, but something still is not off. As long as we're in this body, something inside of us is still off. Yeah, yeah, we're not enslaved to sin anymore, but something's not right. Uh, There's a Puritan, his name was John Flavel, and he once said this. Let me read this to you. He says, the greatest difficulty in conversion is to win the heart to God. And the greatest difficulty after conversion is to keep the heart with God. So before you believe her, it's hard to win your heart to God. God's a work of God, but now it's still a work of God. But the, the idea is to keep your heart with God. So now on a daily basis, every single person who's in here who's a believer, every day you are choosing between good and bad. You are choosing between wise wisdom or foolishness. You are choosing whether you're going to worship God or you're going to worship idols. When I talk about idols, I'm not talking about the things that you set up on your mantle in your home. I'm talking about the idols that you can set up in the mantle of your heart. This brings us back to Proverbs 4.23. Look at it again. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. What does it mean to keep your heart or to guard your heart? It means to protect what comes in and to protect what goes out. We have to constantly be on guard from what we are letting inside of our hearts and a constant vigilance on what we are letting out. And once again, this Puritan John Flavel, he puts it like this. He says that the, the heart, guarding your heart, is like a besieged garrison with enemies on the outside and treacherous citizens on the inside. Now, a besieged garrison doesn't work well for me. I don't know the imagery of a besieged garrison. I've not seen a besieged garrison recently. So that imagery does not work well for me. So what I want to do, I want to give you a modern-day equivalent by keeping the same ideas, and it goes like this. My own personal story, my own personal testimony. Bear with me. Here we go. Before I became a Christian... You could describe my heart as a frat house heart. A frat house heart. Now, no offense to those who are in great fraternities, but when I say frat house heart, I'm talking about a party heart. And for those of you from the 70s, you have the idea of animal house heart. The animal house, party house, frat house heart, where there is freedom for sin to come in and there is freedom for sin to go out. And so there was no guard, there was no reins on my frat house heart, which means is the words flowed freely out of my mouth of anger, out of my mouth of cuss words constantly. I don't know if anybody cussed more than I cussed. Ask my wife. She knew me back in high school. I don't know if anybody cussed more than I. It just flowed out, and I let the stuff flow in. Sexual morality, just freely flowing out of my life, and I let whatever sexual morality flow into my life. There's just freedom. There's no guard. There's no regard for God as well. And, 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 And greed, 
Oh, man, I was trying to cash in. Even as a young child, I want to learn how can I cash in legally or illegally, and I let in greedy ideas and anxiety. Anxiety needed no key to my life. Anxiety could freely come and freely go. And so I had this unguttered heart, rebelled against God, was against God. It was this frat house heart. And then all of a sudden, at the age of 19, I hear the gospel. I feel convicted over my sins. I repent and put my faith in Jesus. And this is what happens. Here's some imagery. You can take it or leave it. Here we go. God took my frat house heart, and he turned it into a white house heart. Now, not only do I have this pure heart, if you think about the White House, you've got the most guarded house probably in the country. So now I have the Spirit of God living in me. I have this new heart, and I have this ability to guard what comes in and the ability to guard what comes out. I can actually say no now to what I let in and no to what I let out. But there's still a problem. Right? There's still a problem because I still have to be on guard. Because as sexual morality comes my way, I have to say, no, you've got to stop right there. As greed tries to come my way, I say, no, no, you've got to stop right there. As things that really stir me up to anger, I say, no, you've got to stop there. Anxiety wants to bother me. No, no, you stop there. And so I have all these external things, but now I have the power of the Holy Spirit to say, no, 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 no. But there's still something going on inside, too. It's like I have these rebellious children living in me. In my White House heart, I have a variety of rooms where I, I stick these rebellious children. It's a terrible image, but I have this, uh, I have this, I have this, just, I just got to go and lock them up. I got to put, you know, greed, you stay in your room, and, and sexual morality, you stay over there. Anxiety, you stay there. Anger, you stay there. And I have to, like, guard these rooms because these rebellious children want to get out and they want to run the halls. And so for me, greed will kind of come out of his room and say, hey, Dad, you're 40 years old. People your age are cashing in right now. What are you doing? And then I have these external hits. You ever have these external hits about making money? There's this seminar. It's, it's all over the place. Maybe you've gone to it. It's called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Maybe? You read the book? Maybe? Maybe not. But... It's a guy, he tells a story of his rich dad, poor dad. Rich dad that he had, cashed in. Poor dad, not so much. And, and the, the imagery from the seminar is, yo, Jason, you're the lame poor dad. And so I have these hits externally, and I have this rebellious child running the halls, and I got to say, whoa, 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 whoa. Guard your heart. And the way I guard it is I speak gospel truth to myself, and the Bible says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And I put these guards up and I knock it back on the outside and I go and I put the kid back in his room and lock him up, hopefully for a long time, and I got to keep these guards and then I wonder about your life. If you're a believer, where do you got to guard? What's been hitting you from the outside? You need to put up that guard. What's been stirred up on the inside? You need to put, where do you need to guard your heart? Do you even know what's going on? Are you even aware of what's going on? 
So uh, what I'm going to do with you for the remaining time is that, I mean, we really are going to cut you open. We're going to say, okay, where's this stuff coming from? And we're going to talk about your words. We're going to talk about your actions. We're going to talk about your desires and your passions. And we're going to talk about your attitudes. Let's think about your words. For those of you who not only have free-flowing cussing mouths like I used to have, but you have angry words that come and attack and that bite and they go after people, where did those come from? Like, I don't want to see a show of hands, but how many of you went off this weekend on somebody with something impatient, irritable, angry? I mean, chances are more than half. Where does that come from? Jesus put it like this. I just want to read to you what Jesus said. Jesus said in the book of Luke, chapter 6, verse 45, he says, The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. If you want to memorize something, memorize that last line. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So yes, those of us who are new creations have new hearts, but something's still off there. And out of our mouths come vile words. What's going on inside? And so part of guarding your heart doesn't just mean guarding your mouth. It means asking yourself the question, why did I just go off? You ever done that before? Like, why am I going off so much? What is going on? I really need to get some tape. Just put it on my mouth, but you'll, you'll speak through the tape. You'll find a way. What is going on inside? And I, and I would submit to you this idea. Chances are, if your words are not what you want, there is an idol in your heart. If you're prone to go off on your children, you probably have a peace idol inside where you think that you're entitled to peace at all costs. And if you don't get it, you're going to go off. Maybe you have more of a success idol where you believe that you are entitled to success. And if you don't get it, if anybody gets in your way, you are going to go off. So rather than just letting your words flow freely this week and strike people down and, and be so biting or sarcastic, stop and say, what is going on in here? What idol am I bowing down to before the Lord? And ask God to help you live out of the new heart he put in there. How about your actions? What's going on with your actions? Jesus said this about actions. Let me put this up for you. Mark 7, 20 and 23. It's talking about what defiles a person. He says, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man... Come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. I am wondering that when you are dealing with your behaviors, if you're just dealing with the surface behaviors that you see, have you once tried to say, that may be coming from a deep place inside that is not good. And so I just want to say briefly for those of you who are married in here, if you're having conflict in your marriage right now, it is for sure all your spouse's fault. 
Amen? That's right. But there's got to be some percentage of it, perhaps, that lies with you and what's going on in your heart. And so if you're having conflict, maybe pause and say, what's going on inside of me? I mean, some of you think we're doing this marriage class next week for only those marriages that are perfect. And if we're doing it for those who are perfect, no one's going to show up. Because many people in our congregation are young and married. And when you're young and married, you have this realization. Sometimes it takes a long time. For some of you, it only takes about a week where you realize and you say to yourself, what have I gotten myself into? Did I really just marry you? And you don't want to say that. You don't want to speak that. But for those of us who have been married a long time, we already know. So what we're talking about this marriage class is coming together and interacting and saying, what's going on in your heart? What's going on in my heart? How how can we live out the new heart? How can we encourage one another? It's realizing that, yeah, there are problems here, real problems. But there are real solutions in the gospel, and the grace and the forgiveness in Jesus. So when you got your words going off, check your heart. When you got your actions going out of control, check your heart. But what about your passions? What about your desires? There was once this dad who spoke to his boy in the Bible in Proverbs, and he said this to his son in Proverbs 6.25. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let her capture you with her eyelids and her eyelashes. So this is a father instructing his son how to avoid adultery. And he's saying, boy, watch out what's going up here. Watch out what's going on in here. Because what's going on inside can come out. In fact, Jesus says, no, it's not just what can come out. What's going on inside is adultery. Jesus put it like this in Matthew 5, 28. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So it is much easier for men and for women to let our imaginations go wild rather than to guard and to restrain. Some of you who are are dating people you should not be dating, you can explain your circumstances all day long. You can talk about loneliness. You can talk about this and that. You can talk about how, in, how Christian guys have no interest in you. You can say whatever you want to say, but what's going on is here. It's inside. For those who are sleeping around, those who are in porn, those who are reading erotic novels, you can talk about your circumstances all day long, but it comes from within. What is going on? It's coming out of hearts that are not guarded. It's coming out of hearts that are not worshiping inside, but they're worshiping idols instead of the Lord. So those are our words, our actions, our passions and desires. And lastly is your attitudes. What's going on with your attitude inside? What's your attitude? Consider envy. Anybody, anybody envious in here? Let me put this, this Proverbs twenty three seventeen. It says, Let not your heart envy sinners. But continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. You ever just see people and like, man, I wish I had their car. I wish I had their clothes. I wish I had their house. I wish I had their spouse. There's this envy that needs to be checked and guarded externally and internally. 
And I suspect that one of the biggest problems that we're going to have in this church, I mean, of course, in most churches, but especially in this church where we have a bunch of smart, can I go ahead and say it? We have a bunch of smart, arrogant people. We have a lot of dumb, arrogant people too, but for the most part, (laughs) most of you are smart and arrogant. And the Bible says this about pride. Proverbs 16.5. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. And then Proverbs 18.12. Maybe you've seen this one. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. You ever looked at someone and said, how do they end up there? How do they end up with that problem? How do they find themselves in that situation? They're so smart. How could they do something so stupid? Proud. They had pride in their heart. They had a proud heart that was unchecked and unguarded. When we think about our words, we think about our actions, we think about our passions and desires, and we think about our attitudes, these are things that must be guarded. To give you one more Puritan quote, this is from Thomas Watson. He said this in his book, The Godly Man's Picture. He said, watch your thoughts, your affections. The heart has a thousand doors to run out from. There's got to be this guard. What comes in, got to be this guard on what we let out because there's a thousand doors from the heart to run out from. Over the next year, and I don't know if, if you, you are going to stick with us at this church. I know some of you are new. You're just kind of popping along, checking out some different churches. But if you decide to stay here, what we're going to do with God's Word is that we're going to let His Word, by the power of His Holy Spirit, through the book of Proverbs, and no joke, week in and week out, we're going to let it cut you open. Doesn't that sound like the church you want to be at? Each week you come in here, we're going to let the Word of God cut you open and see what is going on on the inside. We're going to move beyond just dealing with behaviors and surface-level stuff and say, look, what is going on inside of you? What's causing all this stuff? And where can God's grace bombard us and change us? So this is what I want to talk about as I finish up here. I want to talk about, okay, what, what are the procedures we're going to go through on this heart surgery? What are, what are some of the things that we can expect as we have heart surgery? So, like, what are the outcomes? If you're going to go into surgery, you want to know what are the possible outcomes. Like, am I going to die? Is it going to fix the problem? Like, what are some of the outcomes are actually undergoing God's gracious hand? And so here are some of the outcomes that I, I want to share with you. First, I want to start by saying, for those of you who are not believers... I am so glad that you are here. Absolutely. If you don't believe anything I'm saying, I'm still glad you're here, here in the Word of God. But maybe you're here and you're saying, you know, I see a lot of behaviors in my life. And you see them springing from inside, but you can't put it all together. I should say there is hope for you in the gospel of forgiveness in Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for people who have messed up hearts that are rebellious against God, and he will forgive you. But for those of you who are believers, I want to assure you that the greatest heart surgery has already occurred in your life. It is the most best transplant that has ever occurred where your nasty, rebellious heart is now gone. You have a new heart. The transplant, the great procedure has already occurred. However, until you're with Jesus in heaven, he'll have an ongoing work of transforming you into the image of Christ. So here we go. 
what are some of the outcomes that we can expect from God's ongoing heart surgery week in and week out? Outcome number one. We can expect hearts that are teachable and wise. That's what we want. We want to have these teachable hearts. We can also expect hearts that are repentant. Some of you may say, well, I already repented. I repented one time when I came to faith in Jesus Christ. I hate to break it to you, but the Christian life is a daily walk of repentance. And God will work that in our hearts. The third thing we can expect is hearts that trust him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. God wants you to trust him. and He's going to work that trust in you. Outcome number four, hearts that are pure. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. He is purifying us. And lastly, hearts that love God and one another. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. God wants to work that worship in us where our hearts worship him and love one another. Now get this. You're not going to be able to pull any of these off on your own. It's got to be a work of God. And for those of you who are lone ranger Christians, you like to be just you like to do stuff on your own. I'm telling you, it will not work without brothers and sisters in your lives encouraging you. So if you want some of these outcomes to come in your life, you need people around you who will counsel you. And I would say for the most part, don't throw anything at me, but I would say for the most part, most of you do not need to see paid counselors. You can if you want to, and that can be very helpful and beneficial. And some of you need to, but for the most part, most of you don't need to. Most of you can get sufficient counseling from the body of Christ invading your life within the context of a local church. Let me put this verse up for you. It's Proverbs 25. It says, The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Some of you have behaviors that have been going on for years since you were a little kid, and now you're like 28, and you have no idea why you still do what you do. You have behaviors and attitudes in your life that you don't understand where they come from. Sitting down and interacting with a brother and sister who can draw this stuff out of you and see what's going on and expose it and to bring the gospel and grace can help you tremendously. I do not think you can get at your heart stuff on your own. I don't think you can do it. I don't think you can figure out all that's going on on your own. You need other people who can sit down and be patient with you and reach down and grab that stuff out and say, look, here's your true motives, but here's the grace of God. And you need brothers and sisters to do that with you all the time. And the last thing I want to leave you with is this real encouraging note concerning your heart and concerning your heart surgery we're going to be doing all year. This is a real encouraging note. You ready for this? Don't assume that your heart is fine. Isn't that encouraging? <laughs> Don't assume your heart's fine. It seems like in believers, it's, it's something healthy about always having this healthy distrust. We have absolute trust in God, right? And in his power. But we, we have this self-distrust. Not obsessive. Don't freak out. But just, 
a healthy self-distrust and, and a healthy trust in God. Look at this last Proverbs, Proverbs 21.2. It says, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. Which means that, for the most part, every single person here, you think you're fine. Right? Most of you in here, you think you're fine. There's no problem. There's nothing going on inside. You, you think you're fine. But for the most part, that's probably not the case. There's something going on. And there needs to be this healthy self-distrust and a healthy confidence in God. This will be wonderful as you go to your ethos community. Some of you checking it out for the first time. Or if you go, maybe some of you in campus Bible studies or you're in accountability groups, is just to go into your group with a disposition that says this week, it says, you know what, brother? You know what, sister? There's something wrong with me. Here's what it is. I don't know why I keep doing it. Please help me. Help me to understand. Help me to pray. Help me to see how the gospel of grace and the forgiveness of Jesus fits to this. Or you can do nothing. I can see you back here next week, and you're dealing with, this, dealing with the same stuff. For whatever reason, some of us just like to deal with our stuff year after year without dealing with it. And that's pride. Maybe we think we're not so sick. Maybe we think we can figure out stuff on our own. But some of you, I just want to tell you, like, if I could come into your life, I would say, you know what? Something is seriously wrong. You need help. You need grace. You need love. You need the physician to come in and do a work on your heart of forgiveness and mercy and show you how much he loves you. Don't have up that guard against God's grace. Don't have up the guard against people who want to love you and impact your life. So let's be people this week who are open. Open to others, but ultimately open to God and his spirit's work in our lives. Let's pray. Lord, though we don't trust ourselves, we have confidence in your love expressed in Jesus. And I just ask that as you are going to be doing work over this next year in our hearts, I ask that that would start today. If there is a marriage that is messed up, and people are not talking about what really needs to be done in their hearts, I just ask that today they would take those steps. If there is a single man in here who is struggling with some stuff he does not want to talk to other brothers about, that he would just, in a sense, just convict him, cut him to his heart right now where he will talk to his brothers. And if there is a single woman in here who is struggling, she is in a lot of pain. May she open herself up to a variety of sisters who can love and comfort her. Lord, I just ask that no one would leave here today without coming to your grace for forgiveness. Maybe for the first time. You're the one who changes hearts. You're the one who works the miracles in our hearts. And you're the one that keeps doing that until we see you face to face one day. And to you be all the glory. In Christ's name, amen.